0: Welcome to the Worship Place podcast. We are thankful we can worship with you and pray this message blesses your day. We look forward to seeing you in person next service. So he answered me. These are the horns that have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. Everybody say scattered. Then the Lord showed me four craftsmen. And I said, what are these coming to do? So he said, these are the horns that scattered Judah so that no one could lift up his head. But the craftsmen are coming to terrify them. To cast out the horns of the nations that lifted up their horn against the land of Judah to scatter it. Four horns of destruction and scattering were met with four craftsmen. Now the word craftsman here really could mean anything from a carpenter to an artisan to a jeweler to a to a uh, tool maker, anybody that has the skill to create. Would you say create? create? To create something for a specific purpose and use. Craftsmen here are artisans. Artisans are artists. Though you will recognize my title because it's after a famous book, I will not preach anything out of the book from Sun Tzu that's about 2,000 years old. That's the one of the most well-read military documents in human history, although many of those lessons would be valuable for sure. I want to preach to you the art of war. Let's go before the Lord and pray the Spirit of the Lord. Precious God, we thank you. For the power of your presence, for the mighty hand of God, for the work of the Holy Ghost that's in this place, perform that which you intend to perform in this place today, in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. Shake someone's hand, greet them, smile at them, let them know that you got a good spirit. It was a long night for old Zechariah. Some commentators said he had all 10 of these visions in the same night. I bet he woke up exhausted. I've only focused on one. But the book of Zechariah is full of one vision following another. Angels on the ready to interpret what they mean and what symbols are represented by them. But to see it, Briefly, a horn, the book of Daniel especially shows us that a horn is a nation, a ruler, a principality, and horns have a connotation of being negative, diabolical, anti-God, anti-people of God, and so forth. Some writers have said the four horns perhaps represent the four empires, spoken of in the book of Daniel. You know, Babylon, Media Persia, Greece, and Rome, that these were going to be the forces that would come to bear, that would scatter, obliterate, and resist the people of God. And eventually they would resist the church of the living God, uh, and perhaps are resisting it still to this day. So, in this vision or dream, God is really giving Zechariah a revelation of the people's pain. Now, I know when we think of getting revelation, we seldom, if ever, think of getting a revelation of, of, of pain or turmoil or hurt or sorrow. But please understand, just like there are prophetic views of breakthrough, there are also prophecies that bring us to places of great consternation for example Jesus warned us of the days that would come of uh, great tribulation upon the earth and pray that you're not taking care of a baby then or that it's not in the winter time because there's going to come some seasons in our lives where we will be challenged you know to say the least But I stand before you and I am sometimes absolutely flabbergasted at how the empires of the world, how there is a global movement to extinguish the name of Jesus, the Bible, the influence of the church, that the bad guy in the movies now is the Christian. He's a menace, a danger, a threat to society. Used to be when I was a kid, when you called someone a Christian, you were paying them a compliment. Well, things have come full circle now, and um, the world wants folks to be ashamed of their faith in God. But I, I know I can speak for most of us here, but we are not ashamed. I so said, We are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. What's going on is the world is infatuated with its notions and directions in sin, and the church and the Bible and the preaching of the Word of God and the good people of God set their conscience on edge, and they want to push the influence of the church as far away from them as they possibly can. But try as you may, amen, He's still on the throne, hallelujah, praise God. And you're not gonna push God off of his throne, amen? Does anybody believe that this morning? So so here we have it. The lessons of the Holocaust, it's, looked, it's been lost upon this generation. It is as if people are marching headlong. I'm, I'm not talking about former Nazi places, I'm talking about the United States and Britain and France and Italy and places like this are demanding, uh, they're sounding notes of anti-Semitism. Let me remind you that Israel is the prophetic clock. If you want to know where we are prophetically, pay attention to what's happening in Israel. And when the world turns against Israel and the armies of the earth gather against Israel, it's time for the people of God to gather in worship in prayer, in faith, in evangelism, like never before, praise God. So I believe that the worst of times uh, can have the best of times going on, that we can have resistance and revival, that we can have riots and revelation, that we can have breakdown and breakthrough. And so... I want you to notice that Zechariah gets this vision of scatterers. And these scatterers, they are nations, they are empires, they are rulers, they are principalities. They are powers. They are spirits of wickedness in high places. They are the same kind of forces that want to scatter you. They want to scatter your thoughts. They want to scatter your devotions. They want to scatter your prayers out. They want to scatter your memory of the great things that God has done. So you will be negligent to lift your voice in thanksgiving and gratitude. Don't let them scatter you. But in the midst of the scatterers, there's a gatherer. Does anybody want your gathered Does anybody want to be gathered together to be reconstituted? Hallelujah, my God, in the name of Jesus. So what what I'd like to bring to your attention is where there is a horn, there's a carpenter. Where there is a form of destruction, there is a force for good. That there isn't anything that hell can throw at you that God doesn't have an answer for it. You might have a problem so personal and so painful that you don't even think you can talk about it with anybody. Well, you can talk about it with God. And man may not have an answer for what you are going through, but God most definitely does. Show me a horn and I'll show you a, a, a carpenter or a blacksmith or a jewel setter. Come on. Or a bridal maker. I'll show you that God can come against the powers of hell with something positive. Watch this. And creative. I hope that that brings through uh, today. And that is that God has creative answers for, the he- for hell's uh, 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 mechanisms of destruction. Hell kills, steals, destroys. But God lifts up, renews, restores... And creates. Oh, hallelujah. <laughs> Turn to your neighbor and say, Jesus has a creative si- solution for your problem today. That is what I'm calling the art of war. I'm telling that thing. God has a plan to overthrow your adversary that is so creative and unthought of that you can't even see it happening for you right now. And so in Genesis 6, the earth had become so corrupted and there was evil and evil in the minds and the hearts of the people continuously. And God had grace upon a man by the name of Noah and his family. And God says, I've got to do something about the sin problem. I've got to do something with the overrun imaginations of all of mankind. They have literally consumed themselves with evil. And they have perpetrated evils that had not been thought of before. But when Satan does evil that hasn't been thought of before, God has a plan of attack that hasn't been thought of before. And so his first carpenter, as it were, his first, uh, his first craftsman is Noah, and God gives to Noah the plans for the building of an ark. So God's answer to the sin problem of the antediluvian world was a carpenter, a ship builder slash preacher who would work and toil and build until the day came where the ark was ready and God summons the animals and the people and they got on board and the door was shut and the fate of the lost was sealed but hope was extended for mankind. I'm gonna tell you something. I'm so glad God has an answer for the wicked imaginations. You know something? God wants to build... Our minds, if your mind has become the habitation of wicked imagination and you've lost control of your capacity to focus on God, there is a creator in the house today who wants to create a, a sanctuary, a sacred space, a place where you can find relief and peace and joy. Oh, hallelujah. And so God decides after 430 years of Egyptian slavery, servitude, and bondage that he was going to call out a people and make a nation. And when he decides to make a nation, he has to have some cause for the nation to rally around. So he calls Moses and he gives him a plan for the tabernacle. And when you read the plan for the tabernacle, it begins at the center, it begins at the ark, and then it extends outward to the outer court and to the perimeter. But been giving, giving Moses, notice these people, uh, all, they were bricklayers. I mean, thank God for bricklayers, yeah. brickmakers. We don't even know if they were bricklayers. They were brickmakers. Yeah. And, uh, and God now calls upon them to perform a, 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 how shall I say, a crescendo of artistic wonder and beauty. Yeah. Without going into enormous detail, the Ark of the Covenant, was gold overlaid upon wood. It had features. It had cherubim. It had a mercy seat. The, the colors, the tapestries, the embroidered angels, the silver sockets, the, the, the fittings, the poles, the staves. all of it coming together, and it might would have seemed a project too great for Moses or any of these impoverished children of Israel to be able to handle, but the Bible says in Exodus 31, Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezael, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and all kinds of skills, to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, All they'd ever handled was mud and grass. But it's now he knows how to work in gold and silver and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts. Just let me remind you, when he calls Israel out of Egypt, he doesn't let them wander around their own ideologies, but he creates a a tabernacle in the wilderness to center them to anchor them, to bind them. And this is, a, this is a project of immense value and beauty. He does it creative. Oh, hallelujah. I know it's not sinking in yet. It will in a minute. Give me a minute. I got a little bit you know, more work to do. And so the giants should have been abolished a long time ago. And the children of Israel were shuddering at the threats of Goliath as he pounded the ground and his voice just reverberated throughout the valley. Send me a man. Send me a man. And finally, no men were forthcoming till David shows up on the scene. Hallelujah. And David, David looks around and says, Hey, anybody hear what this guy's saying out here? Somebody's got to do something. And 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 David's brother's embarrassed, probably because he was feeling the tug but didn't want to yield himself. He surely didn't want. His brother drawing attention to the problem. Shut up, David. Be quiet. There you go again, making trouble, trying to be the center of everything. And David says, hey, tell the king I'll go. And everybody looks at David. And Saul looks at David and says, oh, no, you're just a youth. This guy's been a warrior from his youth. All you are is a youth. You're a nobody. You cannot go out and fight this giant and David said, let me tell you about a God who when I was all alone tending my father's sheep and a lion came out and, and it attacked the sheep and God gave me power and I grabbed that thing by the beard and I tore it limb from limb. Amen. And about a bear, same fate. And the same God that helped me then, I'm feeling something going on in my bones. And the God that anointed me to take out the lion and the bear is gonna be there. Hey, take out this giant. I want you to know, they tried to conventionally arm David They tried to reduce him to the level of the way everybody else fights. They tried to make a swordsman out of him or a spear thrower out of him or an armor carrier out of him. And David would have none of it because when a horn comes against you that's too big for you to handle, the answer isn't going to come from anything you know. It's going to come from something that the devil doesn't know. And so David said, I don't need any of that. I'm coming at Goliath with a smooth stone and a shepherd's sling. Can I tell you, God had a creative solution to a giant problem and it had nothing to do with the way they ever fought before. I want you to lift your hands right now if you're facing down a giant. And I want you to ask God, give me a creative solution. Let me do or be something so surprising to the forces of hell that the devil will literally be flummoxed and overthrown in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Wouldn't that be something that some of you that have never shouted in your entire life just jumped up and started shouting? I know that's too much to expect, but what would would the devil do if some of you just caught fire and came alive? Giants would go down. (laughs) Hallelujah. And so I read here just the other day, a rancher in... Australia was looking after his fence and he was going to work on a part of the fence that was down. And I guess sometimes when the flash floods go through parts of those countries, they leave pools of, uh, of water that's st- stranded and sometimes fish and things get stranded in them. And as he was working along the fence, he noticed a, broil- a boiling in the shallow pocket of water that had been trapped there. And he thought, hmm, that's a big motion going on there. I better get out of here. And he turned to walk away and just as he took the first step to get away, (coughs) Mr. Crocodile jumped up out of that mud pond, grabbed him by the leg and began to wrestle him into the mud. And the way the the force of that animal with his leg and his teeth was just shaking him like a rag doll back and forth, flip-flopping. And every so often his head would flip up against the face of a crocodile. He didn't know what to do, but he knew he had to do something. I'm not just going to let here, sit here, and let this thing tear me limb from limb. So on the next rebound, here we go. (sighs) Ah, he bit back. When I read it, I thought, where in the world do you bite a crocodile that was gonna make one hill of beans a difference? Well, it just so happened he picked about the only spot that would work. He bit him right on the eyelid, clamped down, he said it was like biting down on a shoe, and he just goes and that thing. Uh, uh. And finally, it let go. Praise God. I'm going to tell you something. If the devil's got a hold of you and you'll do something you've never done before, he will let go. Let go of my family. Let go of my children. Let go of my mind. Oh... Somebody needs to bite back. Hallelujah. And so the vision said these craftsmen came to terrify the horns. Those that had scattered and devastated the people. So it brings me to the fourth carpenter. In John's prologue, in John 1 and verse 1, something interesting happens. Now in the book of Genesis, we have the word and the light and the creative power, and then God rests. And so as a creator, he rests. How long he rests? He rests through perhaps most of the Old Testament time here time there he might awaken to do something but something happens in John 1 and 1 in the beginning was the word logos the same word that spoke in the in the beginning god said yes. so now we got the return of the word you want to know why the word's come back cuz the creator's coming back on the scene And so when we enter into the New Testament church age, we enter into the age of creation. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Watch this. And the light shineth in the darkness. The word comes back. It comes back vocally. It comes back in effulgence. And it comes back to attack the darkness. The same three things that was in Genesis 1 are back here. But watch this. The light shined in the darkness. And the darkness comprehended it not. This was a different kind of darkness now. Because the darkness in Genesis 1, when God said, Light, darkness said, I'm out of here. But this darkness is a different darkness. It's a moral darkness. It's a spiritual darkness. It's an evil darkness. It's a darkness of moral depravity and distance from God. And so watch as this soul darkness is different than the darkness of Genesis uh, 1. And then Jesus comes and he's incarnate as the creator into deeper darkness and until this, this darkness was so deep that at the crucifixion scene of Jesus, it had the power to eclipse the sun. In the middle of the afternoon, it was dark. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. That's from noon to three o'clock in the afternoon when the sun should be shining the brightest. But I don't care how dark it is. When the light comes into the world, when the creator returns, you got to get this. You got to get this. When the creator comes back with a solution for the mayhem, and the brokenness, and the wickedness, and the sorrow, and the loss of mankind. Jesus came. He said, I have not come to destroy. Well, if you've come and you haven't come to destroy, what have you come to do? You've come to create. I want you to see this. Jesus descends into obscurity. He's born in a manger. He descends into obscurity. He's raised in infamy. He's attacked by society. He's condemned unjustly. He hangs on Calvary. That they said that he was beaten so badly that perhaps there wasn't an inch of his skin that was left intact. Isaiah 52 puts it this way. His appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being. That, and his form marred beyond any human likeness. Isaiah 53 and 3, no form, nor comeliness, nor beauty that we should desire him. Watch this. Here the light, the creator, the word comes back to fallen humanity. He plunges himself into the cesspool of the human experience. And then he enters formlessness. I want you to see the beaten, bruised, broken, bloodied, body of Jesus on Calvary. The fluids that were subcutaneous now have risen to the surface and he has become a slush, a mess, a miasma, a confusion, a chaos. He goes back and this word goes back into the primal, wicked, fallen, human nature. And what does he do? He conquers hell and the grave and he comes back uh, with a plan Oh, therefore if any person be in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. God doesn't have a Band-Aid for your problem. He has a creative miracle for you. God's answer is to make you new. Oh, let's stand and lift our hands. The fourth carpenter comes back to creation and relives it all. And with the word. Oh, Holy ghost. Holy ghost power. Holy ghost anointing. Oh, I feel the presence of God. And I want to tell you, everything you thought God needs to do to fix you isn't what his plan is. His plan is to surprise you Us and the devil all at the same time. Somebody was talking about a backslider that they had a dream about. And they came to the altar and fell in the altar and got up from the altar and said something like this. I'm different now. That. For every devil, for every resistor, for every broken part, for every messed up life, the creator. Hey, welcome to the age of creation. God creates every day now, recreates, broken hearts, broken lives, broken dreams. He's creating, he's creating now. Would you lift your hands right now and let him create? Let him create, hallelujah. Crazy, hallelujah, you'd be surprised what God can do with a simple prayer. What did the writer say? Create in me a clean heart. Renew within me a right spirit. Okay, so you've been up against it. Pressures have come on you. No way out, no end in sight. I want you to come. We want to see what God can do. We want to see what God can do. Why don't you give the creator a chance? Why don't you give the word a chance to confront your darkness? Jesus experienced formlessness, brokenness, chaos, both morally physically spiritually oh there's a creator here and the vessel was marred in the hand of the potter the potter just simply made it over again do you need a spiritual makeover come forward he'll make you over again These altars are open for everybody. Let's come and find a place and let's pray. Thank you, Jesus.